Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Healing Insight Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from digestion to weight loss, autoimmune conditions to fertility, and so much more. But today we're talking about sleep. It is crucial to our health, and a lot of us aren't getting enough good quality rest. And Senya says things like stress or anxiety, a nutritional deficiency, or a hormonal imbalance can be impacting our sleep. Healing Insight can help with those issues and treat you with acupuncture, utilizing calming points on the wrist, on the heart meridian that help you finally relax and sleep, and recommending herbs to calm stress and supplements to balance hormones. I see Senya regularly. She places needles in strategic points and then just lets me rest. I call it an acupuncture nap, and it's like a full night of restorative sleep in about 30 minutes. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com to see Senia's gorgeous new website and learn all about all of the treatments she offers. That's HealingInsightOnline.com. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And today, Marjorie, we are talking about connecting with people in a no-touch world. You know, when you see people and you want to hug them, that's really frowned upon right now. Yes. And um, and I'm so happy that our guest is back with us today. We've talked with her about sex education and conversations about sex, and even bigger than that, a culture of conversation that is so important to have in your home, particularly with your children. But today, we're going down an interesting road with her because we're talking about connecting with people when we can't physically touch them. And even as an adult, this has been hard for me because I am a real hugger of a person. Like I hug every, I realize that just about every guest that comes through Twin Cities Live, I <laughs> hug them, which I should probably like, ask them if that's okay. But I don't know. I guess they're giving off the vibes. <laughs> you're so funny, Elizabeth, because you're just like my husband, Ian, who's a hugger. Yeah, I always hug we, Ian. I would hug Ian oh, every yeah. time I see him. Oh yeah. You're both huggers. And it's when we first started dating, I am not a hugger. I am now more because I've been married to him for so long, but I was not a hugger at all. And he would be hugging everybody. And I would just look at him like, what is wrong with you? And even like, I, I always would laugh because not only is he a hugger, but he's the kind of person that like, if you're walking down the street, he's so open. Like yeah. he just makes eye contact with everybody. Like, Hey, I'll be your friend. It's just that super friendly vibe that comes off. But I think for people who are used to that contact, this is a particularly difficult time. And I also think it's just so, it's so like now I find myself when I, when I see somebody, cause I, I have to go out and do some work things sometimes. Yeah. My inclination because it's so awkward now not to shake a hand or not to do anything, is I am still doing sort of the elbow thing. Yeah, or like a wave, a weird wave at them. Yeah, I don't I do wave the wave. Both. That, I do like so jazz hands and I wave both hands at them and reach out my hands to them. It's <laughs> so weird. But the, even the elbow thing, Elizabeth, I find that I'm sensing people aren't even comfortable with that. Like I'll put my elbow out, but it requires them sort of moving toward me. <laughs> and they're not and I see it in their eyes like, oh God, I don't I don't I don't want to do this. And so I'm trying to figure out because the wave won't work for me because I'll just be totally geeky and it'll be weird. It's weird. So yeah, it's it's, it's, it's troubling. It's hashtag twenty twenty problems. And I, I think it's interesting how you bring <laughs> that up about about Ian and then how that translates into your family because I remember one of the most attractive things about my husband to me was when he, when we went for the first time when we were dating to visit his family and I met at the time, he had two nieces who were three and 18 months. And I remembered that he would pick them up. They would run to him and he would pick them up and he would just like really casually like kiss them on the side of the forehead Mm -hmm. or like, and not, and just 
that was his instinct. And I saw that with his dad, too, with his dad, who was very much like that with the girls. And just in a very... He just has a comfortable affection about him that I found to be really attractive. And I think our kids are like that. We're very affectionate as a family. Children, I think, in general just crave physical touch from the adults in their life. And you see that naturally with them. So I wonder how that's working now and how when they are at such an important time to learn how to navigate their physical boundaries and what's right for them and what isn't and kind of figuring that out, they're being not allowed to grow that way because they're not having interaction with as many people. And that's where our guest today is going to help us, Marjorie. Thank the Lord above. Yes. (laughs) So we're talking again to Dr. Heidi Croat, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times before, and we just absolutely love. And Dr. Croat is a professor of communication studies. She teaches courses in interpersonal communication and relationships, and she's really active in this field of communication within families and has a real passion for helping families communicate successfully. And we love her Beyond Birds and Bees parenting education program that helps parents figure out how to basically not do what our parents did, which was hand us a book about sex and go, best of luck to you. (laughs) Heidi has a much different perspective on it. And again, that culture of conversation is something that she's so passionate about that as soon as she started explaining it to us, Marjorie, remember, we were just like, ding, 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 ding. This is revolutionary. Hands down, one of my favorite podcasts ever. Some of your reactions as Heidi's giving you a sample birds and the bees talk is priceless. (laughs) She has really, I, I mean, I actually think that more than any other guest on this show, Heidi has influenced how I interact with my children because it made me just feel like when they ask questions about their bodies or about how things work or even like me being pregnant again, I don't feel weird anymore. I just feel like because I never feel pressure that I have to give them more information than what they asked about. It's just like they're asking this question. I answer it. We move forward. So Heidi is here. Heidi, we're so happy that you're back. It is nice to hear your voice. It is so great to be back. This is the best way to spend my day. (laughs) I I just love that that's probably the longest intro we've ever given to a guest, but it's just because we both needed to gush about you first. You are so sweet. And I could say the same back. I love getting to talk about these things with you. It's amazing. It really is a game changer. And I've recommended your website and your newsletter to so many people since we've talked to you. But this is a bit of a different conversation realm than just about how to talk to your kids about sex, because we are in such an unprecedented time. So I want to know from you, what are you kind of gathering because you're such a researcher and and such a, a student and a learner of what are we seeing with kids in the absence of those normal physical interactions? And especially when you're telling them you have to stay six feet from your friend. Ugh. I mean, it seems like that is the group of people that has the hardest time with this because it goes against every Everything. little bit of their body. It does. And the thing is, you both said it before, I'm a hugger too, or we're married to huggers, or we're used to just having so much more physical touch in our lives. And I think as adults, we figured that out pretty quickly. We figured out pretty quickly during all of this quarantine and stay at home that we're missing that. And I think we forgot that our kids are missing that too, Mm -hmm. that they aren't getting that same touch that they used to get. They're not getting that same intimacy and connection that they used to get, whether it was at school or from neighbor friends, or I loved your story, Elizabeth, of your husband with his nieces. I mean, we're not going even to our grandmas and grandpas anymore and giving them the same level of hugs. And so our kids really are missing what they have grown to not only love, but the truth is that as humans, we need touch. Touch serves like an actual fundamental need in our life. And we know that, I mean, when you have a baby, that first thing we do is skin to skin contact, right? We know that it has such benefits for us. When someone is grieving, right, the first thing we want to do is hug them. When when our little kids are in pain and they fall down, we just want to scoop them up and, and hug them. We know that touch has, like, healing powers. Mm-hmm. But we've taken that away in most places in our life. And so we're trying to figure out how do we balance that with our kids when we know that 
they can't get touch in the same ways, but they absolutely need it. Yeah, boy, and it's the, so tough. And the complicated thing about that would be is, especially when you're looking at like a two, three, four, five-year-old who's not seeing their grandparents, who may not be seeing their aunts and uncles, who's not going in most cases, and a lot of kids aren't going to preschool where they might have that the touch of their friends or a teacher, they won't be able to articulate what they're missing. And I think that's the part that would be really, really complicated for me as a parent is because they don't know what they're missing. But we know if we think about that, that that's forming them in some way. Exactly. And you know what? We can talk about the little kids all day long, too. But you know who else doesn't know that they need it? Teenagers. Teenagers have no idea. And I think especially, I'll be stereotypical for a little bit. I think teenage boys, they would never admit that they need touch in their lives. Yeah, that they need a hug. No. They push their parents away. They're like, no, I don't need that. And yet, if you've seen a group of I mean, I have a 10-year-old boy, and I think of his friends even, but you see high school boys, they're always touching. There's like a pushing and a shoving and a wrestling and a jumping yep. on each other's oh, backs and so a high five. They have no idea that that is because their bodies are craving physical touch and affection, yeah. but that's what's happening. And so when you ask kids now, whether they're little kids, as you're saying, Marjorie, or as they're older kids, if you say, do you need touch? Do you need someone to hug you? They're like, no, I'm fine. But they're Mm -hmm. craving that physical touch and affection in so many other ways. It's it's so funny that you say that about boys because I have two sons that are two years apart. And they were like living with cats because they were always (laughs) like rolling around and wrestling and they were always – they were always doing something to each other. And half the time – and I was – I just saw them recently and we were in their grandmother's living room and they start wrestling again. And it was like, my God, you're 28 and 26. This never stops. But it's, but you're exactly right. It's that, and, and that's how they were with their friends. And I think in a lot of ways, I haven't thought about that in a long time. It is the, that is such the charming part of boy men. It's like when you watch these high school boys and they are, they're just funny about it. When you say like they were always on each other's backs or they're so giving each true. other rides or they were doing whatever. And, and, and for that not to be happening in a natural way, gosh, that's so sad to think about. So what's, what is then happening with our, and maybe you're so good at going down the line of like the little kids versus the older kids, of what do you see as sort of the consequence of that? Because if that, if that sort of physical touch outlet isn't happening, there is a need that's not being met there that I would assume then manifests itself in some sort of frustration or something. What are the signs of that? And then what do we do to try to support them through it besides just like pinning down the teenage boys and hugging them in our homes? <laughs> that might not go very well. That might not go very well. <laughs> yeah. So you hit the nail on the head. So there are some sort of consequences or unintended outcomes of this lack of touch. And we can kind of go down the line. And for our young kids, we know that that frustration is often what we see. And sometimes with young kids, we see, like, we talk about sensory seeking, kids who are doing a lot of sensory seeking. And that is, that's very different than the physical need for touch and affection that we're talking about. And yet during this time, I think those lines are blurred. I think it's hard to tell when kids are sensory seeking and just need a hug and just need some extra touch. So kids tend to get frustrated. They get angry. Our little kids, you might see more emotional outbursts. You might see that they're trying to, that they're touching themselves more, right? You might see that kids, they're what we would normally do in touching our hands or scratching our heads, that kids don't know kind of what to do with their hands. They don't know where to go. And so you might find that they're picking at their bodies more. Some kids might be doing what we call genital touching more, which is not to say that somebody else was touching them and now they're Mm -hmm. replacing that. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But they're looking for that physical sensation, right? So they're going to be looking for that sensation or looking for that outcome in another way. And if kids are kind of left alone and not knowing where to go or what to talk about, at some point, right, they're going to either get extremely frustrated, have those emotional outbursts, or they're going to turn it inward and start to kind of satisfy those needs on their own. 
Okay. Okay. When you say sensory seeking, can you define that for me? Yeah. So, you know, in a lot of kids, we have sensory seeking where they're really there. You might see kids who just have a need for aggression or they need to be touching things. They need to be jumping on things. They need to be flipping. They need to be spinning. Right. And we would call that sensory seeking. And that kind of has a different purpose and a different function, but we treat it the same way where we give kids we ask them to go push up against a wall or we give them a swing and tell them, you know, like they need that in their lives. They right, need those yeah. motor skills. So it's a little bit different because sensory seeking is more about the motor skills. And right. what we're talking about is this physical touch, but they look kind of the same, I think, okay. during this time. Yeah, that's but interesting. I think it's important yeah, to understand seeking. that too, as you're looking at your kids and how you can sort of help them through this. I think it's important to understand the distinction. Oh, for sure. And the sensory seeking I see with kids, like my kids all the time, they're super into trying to master cartwheels right now. And so they're just constantly like flipping. Am I doing it? Am I doing it? Am I, <laughs> I are my legs fully up in the air? And I'm like, almost. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost. Getting- And you might see even more of that now. And again, I think those lines are getting blurred. And so I don't know that it's like an additional need for sensory seeking as much as we might feel that their bodies aren't getting that same output that it normally does. They're not getting those same opportunities for for touch and intimacy and connection. And so part of that might be they want your attention to say, look what I'm doing. Talk to me. Come close to me. Help me flip my legs over, mom. And it's like that touch of you maybe helping them with their cartwheels. It's that intimacy of you being close enough to talk to them right in their face. That's Mm -hmm. what they're missing. Our little kids, even the ones who are going to school or going to daycare, they don't have a teacher who can come right up next to their desk, crouch down, whisper in their ear and say, wow, this is such great work and kind of pat them on the back. They're not getting that same kind of intimacy or connection that they used to get. And so they're going to be craving that in other ways, right? So even our kids who are going to school, they might be coming to you now for all of their needs that are no longer being met. And frankly, that's really hard for Mm -hmm. a lot of us, especially as working parents. We're trying to work at home. Our kids are maybe trying to do school at home. Mm -hmm. And then they're cartwheeling over here. And they're like, (laughs) look at me, look at me, come help me fix my my daughters into the same thing. She's always flipping and flopping around the house, working on her dance, her gymnastics. And she always wants like that physical support, like help me with this walkover. And she wants me to put my hand there. And I think a lot of that is you want me close to you. You're Mm -hmm. craving closeness. And I might need distance from you because we're together all the time. (laughs) Oh, that's, oh my gosh, that is it right there. That's what parents need to recognize right there is because I hear a lot of parents and I get it complaining about not having that separation, not having the normal school day, trying to get work done, all of those things. But I think that's so important what you said is that we have to recognize that they need that they that what they're trying to do is get us to be closer to them even though we feel like i, I i'm projecting now because my kids aren't here but we feel like we've been with them 24/7 right so when they're coming after us to get more 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 it might be annoying or frustrating but if you remember they're not really getting what they need in being in the physical space, they need to be close to you or touched or hugged or whatever. Oh, that's really... Which can be, it can be so difficult. I remember my mom saying that there was a period of time when we were all five and under. So she had three little kids, five and under, and then married. And she said she just wanted a 24-hour period where no one would touch her. Like a 24-hour period where not a single person wanted something from her physically. And right. so I think for moms, and I have felt that too. I mean, they're, and I, and I get it. My kids are little and when they climb in bed with me, they love their father very much, but they suction like Velcro to me. And yeah. I am eight months, pre- eight and a half months pregnant. And when they're suctioned like Velcro to me, and I'm like, I can't, Move and I am, I am very much going. I know this is fleeting. They are not going to want to come in my bed and cuddle with me forever. So I love that. But at the same time, I can't breathe. And, and so you have to, I don't know, kind of stepping back a little bit and remembering at this time, this is why they need more of that might help you get in a better mindset about just taking that few minutes to connect with them and sort of satisfy that craving for them. And then you can move on with the day. 
Hi, Nesters. We take a moment to pause because we want you to know more about one of our incredible guests turned sponsor on Best to the Nest. Annalisha Nimala is the powerhouse behind the Exercise 180 movement and online community. And if you go back to episodes 92 and 143 of Best to the Nest, you're going to get a taste of Annalisha's groundbreaking philosophies on healthy living. But what you should do right now while you're listening to this episode is follow Annalisha on Instagram. Grab your phone, open it right now, then search Exercise 180. That's Exercise 180. 80 and hit the follow button on Instagram. I love having Annalisha's posts show up in my feed. It's my daily dose of inspiration. She shares the best quotes and free mini yoga and Pilates sessions. And she just started doing live chats with inspiring guests. I was honored to be her first guest. You can watch that recent conversation between me and Annalisha by heading to her Instagram page. And I promise you, this is one Instagram account that will not have you feeling less than or too much. In fact, it'll be your regular reminder that you are just the right amount. Annalisha will help you unlearn disempowered patterns of thought and action, and she'll help you exercise your power to initiate and sustain 180-degree transformations in any area of your life. Annalisha helps keep me strong and healthy in mind and body, and she can do the same for you. Now, teens, I wonder about so much, Heidi, because... I worry about them with physical intimacy all the time now because I think so many kids are on their phones all the time and they are, they're not like, I I don't know. I remember being a teenager and always just like, just always physical connection with my high school friends, guys and girls, and just being very, because we didn't have phones. I mean, we weren't looking at anything. We were just hanging out with each other. So already I worry that today's teenagers are at a deficit in terms of kind of learning physical boundaries and learning how to feel good in those types of situations. And then now they don't see anybody. They see like a few friends. So what's going on there? Yeah. And it's the same thing. I, I think they already have kind of less physical intimacy than a lot of us had because of the reasons that you're saying. And yet they find ways like we talked about with jumping on each other and, and wrestling or people are still hugging and they still like to link arms walking down the halls, even if your right. other arm is on the phone. Yeah. They still find ways for that physical touch because again, we need it. It's a biological need of ours to have that physical touch and affection, and we know to seek it out even if we're not consciously aware of it. So the good news is that teenagers do find some ways to replace it, not all the ways. I definitely think they're still missing some of that. But now when we're telling them to stay at home or if you're going out to try to distance from from other people, they are missing out on that. The good news here is that we can do a couple things, and I think there's just a couple reminders that might help us. So one is that while verbal love and affection is not a perfect replacement for physical love and affection, there is a lot of research that tells us that it it can come close. So hmm. if you think about, even right now, I mean, you think about we're distance, right? We're away from people, but we like having that time to talk with people. If you have a loved one who's far away, getting a phone call from them and telling them you love them, it it means a lot, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't right. say, well, I can't see them and hug them, so I don't want to hear from them. Yeah, right? We wouldn't say that because we know that we need that verbal love and affection, even if we can't have the physical love and affection. So one thing is that we can encourage our teenagers if we want them to stay distanced, and we know they're not the best at distancing anyways, but if we want them to stay distant, we can encourage them to use their words. We can satisfy some of that need for them. We can do both the physical at home and the verbal, but we can encourage them to call a friend, tell their friends how they feel, call their boyfriend or girlfriend. And we can, I mean, we might not normally have encouraged this before, but to say, Tell them how much you care about them. Tell them why you love them. Tell them that you miss them. Even something like calling your grandma and telling your grandma that you love her. Just that expression of love and intimacy can satisfy some of those needs that, again, otherwise aren't being met. Well, I do think in in this time right now that having FaceTime or your kids being able to, if you have teenagers, being able to do a Zoom call with eight of their friends. I mean, that's something that if you think about when I was growing up, that wouldn't have even have been a possibility. But I know for my own family, we're in four different cities. There's four Mm -hmm. people in my immediate family and we're in four different cities. We stay connected through FaceTime. And so when I see them, it doesn't have that sense of like, oh, I've missed you so much. I talk to my sons and my husband. I talk to my husband multiple times a day, but I talk to my sons at least once a day on FaceTime so I can see them. 
So I think if you encouraged your your teenagers, like, I don't know that I would phrase it this way because I know they would, I can just see my, how my kids would look at me if I said this, <laughs> but to have like a Zoom party where you just really encourage them on Friday nights to get together with a bigger group. Like if they're in a small pod, I know a lot of teenagers might have two or three people that are in their pod, right. but mm-hmm. if there was a larger group, I mean, when I was growing up on Friday night, literally like 40 people would meet at the beach. Like it was like big. And so it's so maybe have a bigger party where you could just, and that seems, even as I'm saying that, I feel like I would be the nerd mom suggesting (laughs) that. But I just think that you have to encourage them, like you said, to be in contact with those people. Yeah. Just encouraging the connection. Yeah. Yeah. And Marjorie, I mean, yes, I think that we say that out loud and we're trying to be like the cool parents, but we realize that that is not the cool parent thing to do. But here's the thing, and and you said it, and we don't need to get into like the kind of boring science behind it, but there's these things called mirror neurons, and it really, they take effect when we are looking at other people, and you can see kind of their emotional reaction, and it kind of makes us feel a way to see other people feel a way, and that is why FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, that is so helpful. And so while the cool mom might not be like, hey, at six o'clock, order some pizza and have a Zoom call with your friends, right? <laughs> what what you might offer is normally I want you off your screens by 10 right. or 11. But yeah. you know what? You want to stay up till 1 or 2 a.m. FaceTiming your friends. That's great because you need it. I know you need it. Or, yeah. I mean, video games, a lot of us might have restrictions on that with our kids. Or you might not want your teenagers just spending time with video games all day. But that is a way that they are connecting. And that is a way that for a lot of them, they're even seeing their friends. And so to give ourselves a little bit of a break with some of that screen time for our kids, knowing that they're not getting that connection other places, and we want to encourage it so that they can be building healthy relationships and connection. So if it's late night Zoom calls, encouraging them a virtual game night, maybe it's helping them find a cool thing to do online with their friends or just having them FaceTime even other people, like a grandparent or a neighbor or a little sibling, somebody else that they can just have that FaceTime and connection with. But then, of course, as parents, one of the best things we can do is try to find other ways to have touch and intimacy and connection with our kids. So even you're not going to be able to run and hug your 16-year-old 15 times a day, but one thing you can do is just start to like pat their back as you walk by or kind of rub their shoulders as you walk by. Give a, a high five to your kids. You know, squeeze the ones who will let you squeeze them. Kiss the top of their heads. But find multiple touch points, physical touch points throughout the day. Because, again, we are not getting any of that. That same, like, even just passing cash to somebody at a grocery store. We don't really <laughs> yeah. do that anymore, right? We're not no, getting those little things. won't touch the credit card. You yes. can't t- There's a huge piece of plexiglass. It's all weird. I you know. know. I, it's so... I was just thinking about when we lived in Atlanta, my son had a best friend. He, they were both five and they were, no, I actually think they were four. And they were just these two little boys, my son Campbell and his friend, who just, they were like-minded. So like in preschool, they just were best friends right off the bat. And one of the things about his little friend was, and I loved having him over, his name was Eric, was he was super, he was a super gentle spirit. And I just adored this little kid. It just, there was something so special and funny about him. And I remember going to church. They belonged to the same church that we belonged to. And I remember there were five kids in that family and they were sitting, and I didn't know the family very well in the beginning. They were sitting in front of us and I'll never forget the mom was sitting next to one of her like seven or eight year old children or child. And she was just ever so gently rubbing his back. And it was such, it right there. It was like, Oh, that's the family. Like there was, <laughs> you could just see right there. There was a gentleness and a sweetness to how they interacted with each other. All of the siblings interacted and I'm sure it wasn't perfection all the time, But it was that I was just so struck by that gentle touch because you know that that was so soothing to that child. And that was just how she was. And I I think we do forget, like, it doesn't have to be a big hug all the time. It can just be a gentle swipe across somebody's forehead or their back or their shoulder, which can mean so much. And I think just little by little every day. But it, it struck me in such a powerful way of like, oh, that's 
that I get it. I get it. It was it was cool to see. That has to, Heidi, I would think, I mean, you're the expert in this field, but the more that you can build confidence in a child in what positive touch is, the more that they are able to recognize if it's not positive and feel confident in what the right touch for them is. Am I right there? Absolutely. And it's just reminding them that it is important to have touch and physical affection Mm -hmm. in their life in general. I mean, we want our kids to grow up to be spouses and friends and parents who understand that role of touch. And when we talk about touch, I mean, it's, it's physical intimacy, but it is also building emotional intimacy. So what Marjorie is talking about too, that family's use of physical touch was one of the ways that they were connected. And when the word intimacy, our culture tends to kind of think of it as sexual, right? But intimacy, weird. We, really, oh, we over-sexualize things, yes, Heidi. I weird. think that's so strange as Americans. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> is. But it just means connection. Intimacy just means closeness and connection. And so if we can find ways to do that, the most subtle ways, it really does model for our kids that this is an important part of being a human and being a partner and being in a relationship. And while we're talking about kind of modeling that, that is another one of the best things that we can do for our kids right now is to show them how we are getting our needs met, that we have touch needs too. We have emotional intimacy needs also. And when they hear us going to our partners and saying, you know, I just need a hug today or going to our kids and saying, hey, you know what? I could just really use a big hug and a squeeze or sharing that we really miss hugging people. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's great to say, wow, I really miss hugging people. And I just want to hug grandma. And I just want, you know, I wish that I could spend more time with my friends and modeling that it's okay to acknowledge that it's okay to feel that, but I'm going to try to find other ways to get my needs met. And I'm going to model how I can do that in a healthy way. So oh, with that's teenagers, really important too. it's just when, being able to, if you talk about it openly, then if they feel like they need a hug, they'll be more likely to say it. Oh, for exactly. sure. That's the hope. That they can acknowledge that yeah. that need. Okay, so I know that when we, you talk about you know having kids FaceTime with their friends and having that being a really productive way for them to reach out and connect with people, what are some of the unproductive ways of seeking connection online that concern you right now? So it's, I think one of the things that we're also lacking, at least for our developmental needs right now, is that we all have this curiosity in life that we typically have lots of ways to satisfy, right? We ask questions of people. We have bosses, employees, coworkers. Our kids have teachers and neighbors and friends. Any Anytime we have a question or think of something, we can have connection with other people to satisfy that curiosity. But right now, for most of us, our little kids, our teenagers, and even us as adults, the biggest way that we're satisfying our curiosity is the internet, yeah. I think anytime I have a question right now, I'm going to my phone and constantly we're doing that normally because of our use of phones, but because I'm not next to my coworkers in an office, I'm not asking them their opinion on things, right? I'm only emailing them about work stuff. So we're all missing a little bit of that satisfaction of curiosity through social connection. So our kids are turning to the internet as well. So our kids who normally might have their buddies at school to say, hey, I read this thing. And I mean, I, you know, I saw this thing and they don't talk about it maybe as eloquently as we might, but they talk about things and they say what they're watching and they say what they're hearing and they share their experiences together normally when they're physically together. But now we either have kids just relying on texting more, which we know that there's misunderstandings with texting. We know that texts can be, you know, captured and sent to other people. So then we've got risk of some intimacy and privacy sharing there or else some cyberbullying that can happen. But we also have kids who just maybe had a question about something they saw or read, and now they're just going to quickly Google that. Mm -hmm. And we know that for our young kids in particular, uh, and I mean young, like maybe even elementary school age, as you were saying, your daughter is now going to have an iPad Right for kindergarten learning, right? Yeah, and you think all of our kids are getting technology access in ways that they didn't before, and so we've had to open up our screen time rules. We've had to allow them more access, but that also means that we need to be careful of how they're using their technology. Mm -hmm. And we know that we're encouraging them to be good researchers with the internet, but that also means that they're learning to kind of research anything they want on the internet. And haven't we all googled something that you thought was going to be just like a like 
an answer to something and then you're like, holy hell, there's porn. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody has done that. And you're like, wow. I may, have, I may have shared this with you before, but I had a mom tell me one time that they were working on a school project and they were, it was for their, like uh, their ancestry or their heritage. And they oh, were gosh. like Swedish. And so they were looking up, they were making a video or like a picture uh, bulletin board type thing. And they were looking at pictures of what a Swedish girl would have looked like to try to show what her grandma might've looked like. Ruh-roh. Yes. Yep. So you can imagine they're Googling this and Swedish, like young Swedish girl uh-huh. something uh-huh. pops up. And this mom thought, Oh my gosh, I'm with my like nine year old uh-huh. just Googling for a school project. I had no yeah. idea. And all of these things came up and she thought, well, that's how it happens. That's how it happens. That's yeah. how it happens. And because so that I- stuff wasn't in your encyclopedia Britannica that was several years old because your parents couldn't get the new updated version every year. So you always had to question if the information was even real. Um, you didn't like search for something and then all right. of a sudden look at naked pictures. Well, I mean, none of that was happening. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite things growing up as a kid was just going to look up something in the encyclopedia. And then I would sit there for an hour or two looking at everything else around it. Yes. But I was going to only find good stuff. Like the, nothing else was going to infiltrate my encyclopedia Britannica. But I think that's always been happening. What's different now about that? Because I mean, I had I had two sons in the age of the internet. And I think I think kids have been doing that all along. What makes this different is just the lack of anybody else to talk to? I think one, it's the lack of anyone else to talk to. I think we don't realize how often we have a spontaneous question and we get that spontaneous question answered just by even looking at somebody. I think about little kids who see someone who has a freckle on their face. They walk up to them, they look at the freckle and their curiosity is satisfied and they walk away. Well, now they can't get close to them to see what that is. So if you think about maybe a teenager or a middle schooler who has a question pop into their head Normally, they could just kind of sit with it or look around them and see like, well, what are the norms? What are other people doing? How are other people, you know, maybe they just have a question about something they see at school and they have time and they have other people to look at or either model or just ask questions. And now they're by themselves on their computer. And so they're just going to be typing in these questions. Or you think as our kids are developing and going through puberty, a really important part of puberty is actually seeing other people go through puberty. Yeah. You need to see um, how other people are developing. You need to see it's just human nature to wonder how am I comparing to other people and what do yeah, I look like right. versus them and when, and we don't have that. So if they're wondering, what do I look like compared to other people? If I'm going through mm-hmm. puberty during quarantine, right, I've got no one else to compare to. And so that's when right. we start to think, not that all kids are doing this, there's no need to panic. Right. But it's just a being mindful that our kids are going to be turning to the Internet to answer some of these questions, to look for some of these things. And so we want to be ready to talk to them about what they see on the Internet. But we also want to be ready to make sure that they can come to us with some of those questions. And that's where that culture of conversation that Heidi talks about, that it's at the core of everything that you do is so important, where you are creating a home environment in which you can be free to ask questions and give an answers and not have your parents freak out. Because I definitely remember feeling like if I asked that, I think my mom's going to freak out. Or, you know, like I, I can't talk to my parents about that. And I would like it if my children – and I, that's just a generational difference. It didn't mean that they were bad parents. It just meant that that's how they – they were German Lutherans. I don't know what more you want from them. <laughs> but, <laughs> But that's something that I would like to shift. So what are some things that we can do in our homes right now, Heidi, to just really amp up that culture of conversation and make sure that that's a focus that we are, that we're creating in our homes? Yes. So as always, I mean, just talking and talking and talking about anything is one way to build that culture of conversation, letting our kids know that we want to hear from them. So just listening to them talk about anything even if it's cartwheels, Elizabeth, it's like, yes, tell me more about the cartwheel and tell me more about these things that you want. And just letting them know that when they speak, we will listen, which is really hard when we are working from home. Because I know that so often I'm like, I'm in the middle of an email and a thought and I, I can't, I can't do anything else right now. But we have to be able to set boundaries with our kids, maybe that this is my work time, right? And this is when I'm, but also coming back and saying, 
hey, I know you were trying to tell me something earlier. I really want to listen. I really want to hear you. And so just those basic tips of following up with our kids and making sure that they know we want to listen and then also truly listening, not interrupting them, not giving them advice, not telling them that what they're feeling is going to go away or, well, you shouldn't feel that way and right dismissing how they're feeling, really, truly listening. So those are like the basic things. But when it comes to this big stuff that we're talking about, I think we've talked a little bit about it already, but really modeling for them what it means to talk about your feelings, what it means to say, this is how I'm feeling today. I really want to be with people, but I also do not want to be with any of you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and here's why. And here's what that means. And asking for space when you need space and say, that's really great modeling to say, I want to talk, but not right now. Those are great conversational skills. That's part of building the culture of conversation in our home is teaching them when it's okay to say, I don't want to talk right now, Mm -hmm. but then also asking some of the big questions. If you've got middle schoolers or high schoolers, asking them questions about what do you miss about your friends and what do you miss about being with other people or even acknowledging, hey, you're going through puberty, right? This is hard. It's hard anyway, but when you don't get to be around your other friends who are also going through it, that's also really tough. Do you have questions about that? You don't have to ask now, right? But maybe tomorrow we can talk about it and giving them more opportunities to come back, circle back and answer or talk about some of those big topics that they might be thinking about, but not quite ready to talk about. This is so important. And I I think back to when my sons were in high school and I've talked about this before on the podcast that particularly my younger son, Campbell, at 11 o'clock at night was the time when he wanted to talk. Like that was, that's when the big existential questions would come out. He would want to talk about something that he had read. Now I would have to get up at four o'clock the next morning to do a radio show. And he'd be like, why are you doing this at 11 o'clock at night? And there would be times where I would just say to him, dude, I can't talk to you right now. I just can't. I'm so tired. I'm Mm -hmm. so tired. And that's, I always think about those times and Luckily, I think there were enough times where I was awake enough to have those conversations, but those were non-pandemic times. And so I can, I can, I can identify like, yes, what you're saying and having the conversation of culture. And I, I look to the parents who have high schools in particularly, in particular, and I just think, oh my goodness, because that's, I was having those conversations with my sons, but they were also in a school that was filled with conversation. Yeah. So they were in a very small school where they were having good talks about what they were learning and what they were reading. I cannot imagine parents right now with those high schoolers that have all of that pent up conversational energy that's just going to come out pouring right back at you because there's nobody else. It's overwhelming. And it's going to come out at you in times that you're not ready for it, 11 o'clock right. at night or in the right. middle of a Zoom meeting and they need right. you, right? So they're going to, it's going to come out at those times. And also a lot of kids though won't ever know, they won't acknowledge that they do need that, right? Because yeah. it's not something that most kids are consciously aware of that they need that conversation and that intimacy. They just need it, right? right. And so that's why we want to make sure that as parents, we find that time. And if I can't do it at 11 o'clock at night and I can't do it at two o'clock because I'm in meetings, right, then it's going out of our way. And again, it's so much work as parents. I I get that, right? We don't need one more thing to have to do. But it's something that we want to make sure that our kids have that outlet. And I want to be that outlet as the parent. I want to be that safe place for you to ask your questions or just think through a problem in a way that you would have done at school or you would have done with friends and now you're not. I want you to know that, I might be better than the internet in answering some of your questions. And so I'm going to build that time in. Maybe it's a daily walk. Maybe it's a a weekly pizza night, just you and one kid, right? Having some alone time. And it doesn't always have to be heavy. It doesn't always have to be serious. But the more just time we spend with them and they feel safe and they build trust with us, the more we're going to build that conversational time later on. It's that investment on the front end. It's just like so many other things in life where if you can make the investment of the time and the energy when you're not in crisis mode, you, I think, are a lot less likely to even have to get to the crisis mode because it's you've you've built that and you've built that foundation together. I don't know. The one thing's 
that I, I have been really conscious about with my very little kids is my, my Bernadette always says, Mama, I want to tell you something. Mama, I want to tell oh. you something. You know, she always says that. And I say to her, I always want to hear what you have to say. That's so good. I all, and that's always my response. Okay. I always want to hear what you have to say because I want to just reiterate to her that I'm not even just, it's not that I'm just listening that I go, okay. It's, I always want to hear what you have to say because I always have felt like my mom has always wanted to hear what I have to say. And that is one of the most, I think it's probably the singular most valuable thing that I got as from her being my parent was that I always felt like I deserved to be heard and that someone wanted to hear what I had to say. And that's been fundamental, I think, for my success in life overall. And then the second thing is that I never say to my children, I shouldn't say never, but I mean, I very, very rarely say you're fine when they are saying something like I, this, I'm crying because, and even if, I mean, and my Bernie can be like, like if she falls down, it can be like the world is ending. I've broken my arm. It must be amputated. And the temptation can be like, you're fine, but you really are fine. You just tripped. It's okay. Right. But I never, but I feel like if you say to them, you're fine, you are saying to them, your feelings aren't valid. I, I feel like that's what you're meaning to them. And so instead of saying you're fine, I say, I know that was a bummer of a trip. Do you feel like you're okay? Can we like, just, you don't have to make a big deal about it, but saying you're fine to me means what you're feeling doesn't matter. Well, you're shutting and it I, down. And I don't want them to feel that way. I don't know, Heidi. I hope I'm on the right oh track. Gosh, I don't have a PhD, are, but... Those are amazing I'm things. I'm just trying not to suck as a parent. <laughs> I think that is... Elizabeth, um, what, that's what, all, yeah, what we're all trying to do every day. Yeah. I think so. But Elizabeth, I think those are amazing things that you're thinking of and doing. And I absolutely think that you are showing that, yes, this led to success in your life in many ways, because Mm -hmm. your mom gave you that space to say that your feelings matter, your voice matters, what you have to say is important. And for both our boys and girls, but I would say for our girls important, you know, really is especially, they need to know that their voice matters and mm-hmm. they should be heard. There is room for their voice in this world, even if as parents, we like can't handle it in that moment, right? <laughs> even if we don't have room in our brain for their voice, we want them to know that it does matter. We want them to grow up knowing how to use their voice, how to ask to say things and to share their emotions because Absolutely. We don't want our kids growing up thinking, well, maybe that wasn't a big deal. Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I shouldn't tell anybody what happened because I think this is, I I should be fine. Mm -hmm. So I think those are great things that you're modeling and doing with your kids now. This is what happens, Marjorie, when we have Heidi on the show. Every time we go, okay, well, this is going to take like 30 minutes. And then we're 45 <laughs> in and I'm going, we could keep going for another hour because it's such good. So this is how she's ended up on this podcast three times. And she's probably going to get a trophy at her house for most appeared guest on Best to the Nest. Well, she's going to have to come back again because I don't think we can address it this morning. But my own private obsession about this pandemic is what will this look like? What will the mental state be for all of this when this is done? Mm-hmm. And I sort of obsess about this, and I, I, I'm trying to read a lot about what I can and how I can do better, but I think a lot about this with my 20-year-olds. I mean, they're 26 and 28, and I just keep thinking about the 20-somethings and what, how does this reframe how they look at the world and what their place is in the world? And that's because those are my kids. But you go back to a 17-year-old. And I, I would love to have that conversation of what more we can do for those older kids and for just young adults in general, what more we can do for them to make sure that what's happened to the world in the last six, seven, eight months, how they can reframe it so that it doesn't fracture their lives in a way that's pretty detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. So stuff. I'd love to have that conversation coming up. That's a happy one, isn't it, Heidi? <laughs> I know. We'll book her. We'll book Heidi. I think that it's so important. And I mean, you're thinking of, you know, we're all thinking about these things. And I think we just want to remember as much as we're thinking about this stuff as adults, our kids are thinking about it too. Your 20 somethings mm-hmm. are also thinking, how do they come out of this alive? How do they come out of this better? Our little right. kids are thinking, why do I feel weird? But it, 
they don't know that it's maybe because they just need more connection or more touch. They don't know that they need those relationships. So we're all thinking about it. And I think it's great if as the adults, we can lead the conversation, again, modeling for our 20-somethings and our teenagers and our little ones, how to talk our way, how to build relationships through this pandemic. So good. Dr. Heidi Croat, she's the best. It's so, so good. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.